Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host. Emmett Kennedy. Morgan Freeman, thank you so, so much. The amount of money we had to pay to get Morgan Freeman to do the intro. Obscene. Obscene, I'll tell you. Almost as much money as we'll be going through the sales ring uh, over the next few months. Ah, did you like that little segue? Hopefully, that'll get us the old Sony Award. Uh, And to talk about the hot sires on the race course, the hot stallions that will be uh, producing their progeny into the ring where the money will be flying left, right and centre and basically all things Bloodstock. Delighted to welcome back to the Final Front Podcast, Elena Cullen from TDN. Welcome back to the show, Elena. Hi, Emmett. Thanks for having me. A very busy time at uh, TDN and a very busy time with the sales coming up as well. Just how bonkers is it at uh, Thoroughbred Daily? Oh, I tell you, it, it's, it's um, yeah, we're flat out between racing and, and, you know, getting ready for the yearling sales now. It's it's pretty full on. I think this end of this, I think this, you know, half of the season uh, tends to be busier than the first half. You know, you kind of get to March and you're getting over Cheltenham and you're just waiting for the Guineas Festival to kick in. You think, God, come on, come on, come on. And then once Royal Ascot's over, it just snowballs. And I think this end of the year, because you, we've just had the first uh, Group 1 two-year-old race um, at the Curra, the Phoenix Stakes, and now we're going to kick in. We're going, you know, Deauville, the season at Deauville is going to start now. And um, yeah, it's pretty full on between Group 1 action, festivals, and the yearling sales, which is going to start this week at Arcana. So yeah, we're probably needing a lot of coffee, but we're getting there, and it's okay. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Coffee left, right, and center to keep you going. Um, yeah. We'll talk about the, the Phoenix a little bit later on because obviously Little Big Bear was, was really impressive. Um, one of the, the side notes that I've picked up on because I've been doing a lot more interviews for TalkSport with trainers and, and jockeys, uh, and this is not by any means a, a shot at, um, at the, the previous uh, leaders in the clubhouse, uh, but it's very much just praising yourselves in that the the more jockeys and trainers I speak to and, and the more that I get to reach out to, uh, the more I realize how many trainers and jockeys have switched to Thoroughbred Daily News. And I'm not being paid to say that, by the way, this is just 100% genuine, because for me, it would have been the Racing Post uh, and, and their Bloodstock content is excellent, but your Bloodstock content is available for free. It's um, incredibly in-depth and detailed. And it just, it seems to me from the general conversations I've been having with various trainers and jockeys that most people are, are switching to TDN. So that must be something you're, you're very pleased with. 
Yeah, do you know, it's uh, thank you for saying that, Emmett. No, it's it's been something that we've noticed a lot as well. Speaking again, just speaking to trainers, speaking to to industry people, jockeys, you know, uh, breeders alike. Everyone seems to really be catching on to the Thurber Daily News. Um, yeah, I've worked with the company for five years, so I've kind of seen I've seen the growth from when I started to now, and it's it's just building all the time and. You know, when you get trainers, you know, group one winning trainers coming up to you going, oh, TDN, that's a great publication. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really rewarding for the work that we that we do. And obviously, you know, we've we've um, we've got the video component as well, which is great. Actually, you know, we will be talking about the first season sales and we've done a lot of content on that recently. So, you know, your 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 um, listeners can go back to TDN and read what I'll mention in full um, at a later stage, all for free, as you say. Um, you know, if you subscribe, you get the email sent to you every night. So all you got to do is press download. So it's pretty simple to, to get access to the TDN. And of course, we have all the sire lists on there as well. If you want to do some research into the sires. And I mean, yeah, there's just a vat of knowledge at the TDN that, you know, I probably don't even utilize it all just because it is, you know, there is so much there. So um, I'm very lucky to work for the company. And as I said, we're, we're in a very fortunate position to be growing year on year and, and getting new readers all the time. Yeah, and bringing in new talent the whole time too. But uh, no, yeah. well, well done to you. Um, Brian Sheeran has been a, an, an excellent addition. Uh, by yes, the way, he definitely has. He's, he's been terrific. And um, it's it's great to get your, your insight and your analysis as always, Elena. Um, in terms of the, the first season sires, uh, so Havana Gray has just been yes. been crushing it. Um, if you were to go back to the start of the season and look at the, the anti-post odds, I'm pretty sure that Sioux Nation was odds on favorite. He was. Uh, he was 9-4 to four on with, um, you could have got that with Kaluki if you wanted. Uh, maybe he'll pull it out of the fire, but really it's been Havana Gray, um, uh, the son of Havana Gold. Uh, Sioux Nation has got 51 winners um, apologies, he's got 19 from 51 runners. <laughs> I was having a little heart <laughs> Fake news on the final furlong. Oh, how dare he? Uh, so 26 wins for Sioux Nation, but 39 for Havana Gray, um, with nearly 600 grand in, in prize money, 690,000 in total, but in winnings, 588,000. Uh, it's been quite the season for Havana Gray. It has been. And, you know, it's, it's great to see a farm like Whitsbury Manor have a stallion like Ivana Gray. Um, obviously, you know, they've been going for a long time and they've had great stallions through the years. Um, but, you know, for, for the Harpers, it's, it's wonderful for them to have a stallion like him. He, I remember looking at his stock and I thought they were all really strong. And I think, you know, they sold really well. Um, a lot of trainers bought them and obviously they all saw you know, a racehorse in them when they were at the yearlings. And I actually have spoken to a few trainers about them and they all say they've got great minds. They take their training really well. All they want to do is please. Um, and I think, you know, I think he, I think they will train on as well. Um, I don't think they're just going to be two-year-olds. I think there's more to come from them. Um, obviously, you know, he's, he's had, he had a, was it a list winner in, at NACE um, for Alice Haynes, Lady Hollywood, and then Eddie's boy won the, um, won the valuable race uh, at Newbury, I yeah. yeah, he went on um, to run at Goodwood, uh, who he was beaten yes. there, but yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah um, so yeah, I mean, you know, for, to have 29 individual winners at this stage of the season is, is an incredible feat, and I would imagine there will probably be plenty more to come before the end of the season. Um, CU Nation, as you said, like, yeah, he was odds-on favourite, and I think that had a lot to do with the number of horses that he had to go to war for him this year. Um He's had the nineteen the nineteen winners, but he's he's obviously got two group three winners. He had one this past weekend, Lakota Lakota CU. Yeah, um, Charlie Mark Johnson. 
yeah, he was a graduate of Tots Ireland, September yearling sale. Um, and he had one in France uh, for Charlie Hills, I want to say. Um, so, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's he's second in the list at the minute, but it's not to say that he won't, you know, if he gets a few more black type winners, it's not to say that he won't end the season as the top stallion. Um, and then you've got the likes of Tazlit, who Unfortunately, we've had the sad news about Brad Sell today that he's had an injury um, in the Phoenix Stakes. Uh, so he's out for the rest of the season, but he's a group two winner. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been interesting watching them. You kind of, you, you kind of go into the season with some pre, you know, um, pre notions about these stallions. And then there's always one or two that kind of do surprise you. So, um, it's, it's been fun watching them. Sydney Arms Chelsea was the horse you were thinking of for Charlie Hills who won at Deauville over the weekend. See, you bail me, you bail me out, I'll bail, bail you out. That's how it works here on the Final <laughs> Furlong podcast. Um, but yeah, you're, it, it's fascinating to me about first season Cyrus because you're very much of the, you're trying to figure out how is this going to go? Uh, you know, is how much of the sire and the dam is going to be imparted into these, uh, into this progeny? And for Sioux Nation, I mean, he's very important for Coolmore because he's obviously representing the Scat Daddy line who unfortunately yeah. lost. Uh, and, and he was, he was an incredibly important stallion for Coolmore. And in his absence, we're really starting to, to realize just how important Um so it is nice to see the Scat Daddy line continue with, with Sioux Nation. Whether or not he will uh, continue to impart this quality remains to be seen. I, I think he will. Um, I was very intrigued by Harry Angel, Expert Eye, Saxon Warrior, of course. Well, I mean, Dunnick O'Brien said to me in the final furlong that the best horse he ever rode was Saxon Warrior, uh, which is, is, is quite an endorsement. Um, and, and he's currently sitting at seventh. But you would, you would be imagining with a, a horse like him that his progeny are going to be much better at three. Yeah, I, I, I'd be of the opinion too. I saw a lot of Saxon Warriors in sales and I just thought, you know, they had a bit of class about them, but they were definitely going to be back-end horses um, doing better into their three-year-old careers. I don't, you know, I definitely, I'm, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, don't discount him yet. I mean, he's had six six individual winners. Um, he had one quite early on in the season in France. I, that was that came as a bit of a shock, to be honest, because it was just quite early on in the season. Um, but I, yeah, I, I still have a lot of faith in Saxon Warrior. I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't be discounting him. I do think we'll probably see the best of them next year. Um, and you know, there there probably is a few waiting in the wings to run, kind of maybe this month in September. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see some classy ones starting to appear now. Um, it just interestingly enough about kind of you know horses that might take it a bit more time. Roaring Lion didn't have a you know he's only got the one crop to run for him, but he's starting to get some nice winners now. Um, you know I think I don't think anybody was expecting him to be early, but he you know he's had two individual winners this past weekend. Um, he's he, and Mark Johnson's actually trained I think two or three of those and um, of his individual winners. The Gosden's trained another one this past weekend, so. You know, he's actually an interesting sire. Obviously, you know, there's not more, there's, there's no more to come from him, which is quite upsetting because it would be interesting to see how he could do as his crops develop and, and progress. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's a few stallions there. Like Cracksman's another one. Um, I think, you know, people, I think, again, perception is, is a terrible thing, but I think people were, you know, willing to kind of write him off, which is, it's, that's, you know, there's a great thing about fresh freshman sires. You get really excited about them. It's the new the new boys coming through. It's you know who's gonna who's gonna produce the first group one winner of them and who's gonna you know be the new 
you know, the new Galileo or the new Dubawi. But then there's also this, oh, he's going to be no good. He's going to, they're going to be too backward. People are very quick to judge, mm. which they shouldn't be. And I think Cracksman's actually dispelled a lot of that. You know, he's he's had a list winner. Um, he's he's actually doing really well. And again, I'd say the best is yet to come for the Cracksman's. Um, and he's a sire that I definitely would be would be looking out for and, and watching his progeny with a bit more interest in the next coming months and into their three-year-old career as well. That's an intriguing one to to highlight, Cracksman. Um, just as you say about horses going to the sales ring and beforehand what the vibe is like. I remember, and you'll remember it as well, High Chaparral's first crops. I was very excited by them. Uh, I loved High Chaparral. Probably my favourite flat horse. Um, and definitely responsible for really tagging me, towing me into the world of horse racing and, and uh, making me more and more interested in the sport and making me making this my favorite sport. Uh, so I was very excited to see what he was going to do. And, and in the end, you know, unfortunately we lost him, but he was a very talented sire. But when he, when his progeny were going through the ring the first time, they were, there was a, the independents were quite cold on him and it took him a mm. while to, to warm up to him. And eventually they did. Um, but it was interesting hearing the the talk. No, no, they're no good. They're no good. And and then they turned out to be, you know, decent in the first crop, and then very, very good going on. Um, yeah. And it's amazing just how that trickles through. You know that how that um, that those whispers and that talk can can trickle through because there's always tricks played. You know, with uh, with massive fees going for for horses, and then you realize, oh wait, now did that horse really cost that amount of money, uh, or or didn't he? Um, and if you know what I'm talking about, there you give us a. Give us a, a tweet and and uh, and you'll know. But th- that kind of stunt can be pulled, um, and and it was intriguing to hear that. And and that was definitely something that was going around about Cracksman as well. But yeah, there's there's for sure yes. horses to come. Um, Saxon Warrior, very interesting. What you said, I think maybe the best of his in terms of what we've seen so far and to come. I think Joseph's got a very nice one called Thornbrook, who I'm intrigued by. Um, it was a good winner of a, of a maiden, and um, he's got a, a number of first season stars. Actually, he's got Sunation. Um, representing him with all things nice, who's going to be running in a in a group race uh, pretty soon. But sometimes you can just look at uh, progeny entries and see who's bought who and what opinion they currently hold of that horse. In in the sense of where are are these progeny being entered? And when you look at um, at Sioux Nation right now, and uh, uh, to focus on on Cracksman and and also on uh, Saxon Warrior, you can see them all entered up for group races. Uh, whether or not the, the yeah. progeny and, and these are group races which they've been updated. So they're, they're still in there. There's some of the Saxon warriors that Aidan O'Brien has like uh, Greenland and Victoria road don't appear to be what, what was thought uh, beforehand. Uh, there's a just, the justifies. There's probably a bit of a question mark about them right now as well, in terms of what we've seen so far. Um, Statuette, for example, he's an intriguing one because John Magner did something pretty rare. He, he did a, I think it was a video presentation because it would have been in the height of COVID last year and Australia was still locked down, but they had the, the sales on and John Magner made a, a video appearance where he talked about sending the best broodmares that were eligible from Coolmore to Justify and just how important he is. Um, what do you make of, of how he's been doing uh, in, in Europe? America has been doing well, but in Europe it's been... Statuette could still be a superstar and there's plenty more to come, but, but some of them that have hit the ground don't entirely look the superstars that we might have thought. Um, I'm surprised like, I'm, I'm surprised with the Justifies, to be honest, because I, like, we, I actually recently... I saw him kind of when he first retired and then I, I saw him in May this year and he's a big horse. You know, like, he, he's a big boy and... Um, you know, I, I just I thought what what he was able to do, um, 
given his physique was just amazing. Um, and I, again, it's kind of that thing where, you know, uh, when I see, when I see a horse, if I, you know, you can kind of tell if they're going to be back end or, um, you know, if they're going to be more precocious. And I, I, I think with the justifies, I wouldn't, again, it's a bit by the cracks because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be expecting the best to be happening just yet. I think in America, he's like second on the list for leading sires of, of, um, of, of you know, leading first season sires and obviously statuette. Um, she hasn't been seen since the Balanchine, has she? Or no. The, um, no. So she was um, in, it's an intriguing one with her because I spoke to Aiden about her. She was in for the Phillies race at Royal Ascot, but he also had Meditate and he decided to go with, with Meditate instead. Uh, and to be fair to him, he did say if if Statuette doesn't go there, she'll go for the race on Derby weekend at the Curra. Uh, and she hasn't, you're right, she was long odds on favourite for that race and, and hasn't been seen since. Um, yeah. But she is um, in the Moyglair and she's in uh, a couple of other high profile Phillies races as well. He has had a, a grade three winner in America as well at Saratoga, which is obviously one of the premier meets uh, in the racing calendar in America. Um, her name was just Cindy. Um, so, I mean, he, he is doing quite well. Again, I think the best is yet to come from his stock. And obviously, it'll be interesting to see how they go in Australia, um, given that he is such a a big horse himself and obviously the Australian mares tend to be big broad you know big shoulders big back ends you know they're the, they're the more sprinter type so it'll be interesting to see how he goes in Australia um, but they've always look, I mean he's a beautiful horse he's a triple crown winner um, the support they've given him lends you to think that they're, that he should have some nice horses in his crop and you know I think the signs are there but it's just, you know, just wait and see. And, and, you know, in the next couple of months, I'd say we'll be seeing a few more come out and, and you know, really um, start to set the world alight. When I look at, at his his progeny entries and I see the the Lowther at York, uh, the Futurity, which is always a very uh, telling race, um, that uh, KPMG Champions Juvenile Group 2 at, at Leperstown um, during Irish Champions Weekend. Uh, and then he's got plenty of entries for uh, the Moyglare, but also for, for the national stakes. Is that reading too much into it when you're looking at, at entries like that? Or is that a, a telling way of, of figuring out what big trainers, and, and even to a certain extent, uh, middle-of-the-road trainers who've uncovered a gem, um, is that a good way of working out who feels like they're on a winning track here? Because it's it's the 8th of August when you and I are recording. So you're at a point where you're having to update these these entries and you're not going to continue to enter horses unless you actually think that they've got the opportunity to be able to go and uh, run well in these group races. Or am I just, am I stretching? No, I don't think you're stretching. I, I, you know, I, I, obviously to a smaller level, I know my mother-in-law does it with a few, with a few of the sales races and you do get certain points of the year where you have to, you know, um, re, like not re-enter, but you have to, pay up your entry again to keep in in this in the system i think at this stage you know obviously there's been um there's been stages where you've had you've, you have to make the decision to stay in the race or not so i think you know I, I think it is telling um obviously you'll know more when when it gets to the entry stages closer obviously closer to the time you'll kind of know more but you know it's it, it's it's like with the derby every year. Do you know, like when the when the end when the you know the, the long range forecast for the derby comes out, and you see like the hundred and something entries for it, and you think, oh god, that one. Well, that's bred for the derby. That's bred for the derby. That's bred. Do you know, like it's like that in a way. It is. It is a bit of a marker, um, and it is interesting to see who keeps what in um, at the different stages. I definitely think it's worth looking into. Uh, you know, probably 
depending on the time of the year, it would take a bit of pinch. But as you get closer to those races, it would it is more um, kind of more telling, I suppose. Mm. So in Europe, he's currently 39th in the first season star list, um, which of course is dominated by the horse we've already talked about in Havana Gray uh, and Sioux Nation. Uh, as we come to the sales, which are kicking off <laughs> this week, next week, and, and then beyond, um, who are the first season sires who are going to be really in demand? Well, now, this is where it gets interesting. So, um, obviously, kind of the leading first crop sire last year at the fall sales was too darn hot, um, who is the Dubawi out of Daremi, uh, standing at Darley's Dalham Hall Stud um, in partnership with Watership Down Stud. So he's had massive, massive support um, throughout the world, actually. We, we just did a video on him, um, and we spoke, TDN just did a video on him, and we spoke to some people in America who'd used him. Um, Bill Farish of Lane's End interestingly said that he's the only European horse they kind of bought a breeding right in. Um, so that's telling in itself. Um, so he's definitely one to kind of put on your radar to see how, how they all go. And it's interesting what you were saying about High Chaparral and how people weren't on his stock when they went for sales. It was the same with Dubawi. Um, the agents and everything kind of wrote Dubawi off and said, no, they're not going to be, they're not going to race horses. And then all of a sudden they were proved wrong. And now he's, you know, he's one of the best stallions in the world. That's amazing. Um, he was being, he was being thrashed at sales. Yeah. Yeah. His first crop people were like no then no thank you no thank you basically um and actually you can like we again td ended a video on dubai earlier this year and sambal our director of stallions at dalham hall said this um you know that people weren't on him didn't fancy him didn't didn't want his stock uh and they were all proved wrong um and i think i think obviously people have learned their lesson because tudor and hot was very popular at the poll sales last year so i don't think he's got too much to worry about um, so yeah, I'd imagine he'll, he'll go quite well. Um, at Arcana, there's, uh, five by him to be sold. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. Uh, Blue Point is another one. Um, he was, I think he was second in the list, um, last year and he had, um, a 300,000 guinea, uh, foal sell at Tattersalls. Um, he's by Shamardal. Obviously he did the Royal Ascot double. Um, Shamardal is another sire of sires, so it wouldn't be surprising to see Blue Point going on and, and you know having some lovely, lovely progeny. Um, so yeah, it's there's it's it's in the, the first season size of the sales always interesting. You've not really like yes, okay, you can kind of look at the site like the sires and see what the sires did with their progeny. You can look at the dams and see that. Um, but I think sometimes you do have to kind of go on um physique you know especially if you're looking for a more precocious two-year-old that you kind of want to get out early um i think it does kind of come down to that so i saw a lot of these stallions as foals and there's a few that i thought were were really really nice invince i'm going to give a shout out to invincible army because it consistently across every invincible army that i saw was consistent in how in, in how they looked they were all a lovely bay color they all had a lovely walk. They all had a strong hind end. They all looked balanced and they all seemed to have a good temperament as well. And I think temperament is something that you really need to consider. Um, obviously, you've got a few stallions there by Nona Never, who is that Scat Daddy Sire line. So 10 Sovereigns is one, uh, Land Force. Um, so they'll all be of interest to people. And they people will probably be thinking that they're going to be the more, more precocious types. 
um, just because of like No Name Ever is doing phenomenal with his two year olds this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. There's there's lots of stallions to talk about. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Maybe we should just jump into to Cyrus in general because uh, just on on an interesting side note, um, Elena and I were talking before I hit the record button, obviously because we're we're decent people. We don't just go, right, let's record. Uh, you, here, here's breaking news for you. When you're watching some of those US chat shows on, on YouTube, it's like, hey, how are you? You know, I haven't seen you in a long time. That's all bullshit. <laughs> Surprisingly, that's all complete and utter nonsense. They were all <laughs> talking beforehand and they have to do a rehearsal as well. Um, and, uh, and Elaine and I were doing that too. And we talked about Galileo. And obviously, uh, an incredibly important stallion, a sire of sires, uh, by an incredible stallion in Saddler's Wells. Currently 44th on the list. And that really took me by surprise when I was doing the research for this last week. Because uh, I just, for some reason, it had gone out of my head. Because every time I read, uh, oh, Coolmore have a lot of work to do because they have to replace Galileo. Well, they still have Galileo progeny coming through. And then you read this and you go, oh, uh-oh. Um, why is he so far down the list uh, this season? Is it that other breeders had moved on from him? Is it possible that as a sire starts to age, that their ability to continue to produce greatness starts to wane? Um, I think it's probably a combination of a few things, to be honest. I think what you said there about, you know, breeders looking for other kind of avenues to go down I've, you know obviously Galileo got to a very high fee and not everybody can can afford that so you do kind of start to look for for stallions that are more affordable and 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 also as well I mean the the potency of Galileo in in in, in the blood in you know in in bloodlines at the minute is is really strong so obviously you need the outcrosses to Galileo as well um you know and, and probably you know, you've had the like at Coolmore, you've had the likes of Noni Never coming through, and, and, and horses like that who you know who have been, you know, known to produce kind of more more precocious horses and thing, and, and things like that. Um, it's hard. It's it's obviously hard to pinpoint. I you know, there's there people have looked into kind of the the strength of stallions. You know, when they when they do get older, and I think some you know it's like a brood like a broodmare you know there's a general rule that an older broodmare won't really give you a, a group one winner but then obviously there are outliers to that i think you know uh, don approaches down was 22 when she had him yeah. um so it, it's probably a combination of things and, and also probably you know it's it's quite plausible that coolmore were probably limiting his book slightly as he was getting older to try and keep that longevity in him um, you know, and, and probably some of the mares that they were sending were being rerouted elsewhere, you know, to the likes of Nona and Ever and things like that. So it's it's an interesting thing, but again, with horses, you can't put it down to an exact science. You know, there's there's always gonna be outliers to it, there's always gonna be factors that you've never considered with horses. Um I think just, you know, we're we're quite spoiled at the middle at the minute with the amount of stallions that are doing so well. There's there's a range of stallions across Europe that have proven that they they can you know take on the other like take on the likes of Galileo and Dabawia and fight them for the top spot. So yeah, I mean, you know, you, obviously, I think his his last crop were born this year. So you know, we're kind of and they, that would be quite a small crop. So you know, while we won't see any any you know a lot of stallion a lot of horses by Galileo, Galileo will still feature prominently in the bloodlines. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's I, I hadn't realized that fact either that it was so far down the table, but I don't, you know, he's given, he's given the racing world so much, you know, there was a countless progeny, countless group one winners that he's given us. So yeah, I, it's interesting, but I couldn't put it down to it, to an exact, an exact point. Yeah, neither could I, uh, but I think it's an interesting thing to explore and perhaps, perhaps in, in racing, we just take things a little bit for granted. I, I know it's something that, that can be quite easily done that you're, you're focused on race. From my perspective, we're focused on race to race as we're previewing races on the final furlong and indeed on, on racing love and talk sport too, as well. Uh, I've always been fascinated by stallions. I, I think the, the breeding industry was something that, that really captured my imagination at a young age. And perhaps that's another reason why I became such a big fan of the sport. Um, and, and started this thankfully, uh, which please God will continue to go well, but it is incredible to look at his record. I mean, just looking at the TDN's database, um, Nona Never is just behind Galileo for this season, and we were just talking about how great Nona Never is. So maybe we should give Galileo a little bit of slack, um, given the fact that we've only got a one, two, is it two years of racing left? We've got a crop next year and a crop the next season, and that's it. Um, they don't make them like that anymore yeah. with, with Galileo. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite extraordinary. But just using the TDN's database, so we've got Nathaniel. Um, from the Galileo line, Intello, Glen Eagles, Australia, Churchill. Obviously, he's going to be hugely important going forward, you would imagine. Um, we're going to miss out on a couple here. Uh, and obviously, the, the king of them is, is Frankel. Um, but as I say, he's the king of them. He's currently sixth uh, overall, Dark Angel leading the way, Kodiak. So is that an indication that... Because we were talking on the final furlong earlier in the season about how... Uh, the surprise derby winner who was sold to Lloyd Williams to go for the Melbourne Cup has been gelded. And it's like, <gasps> a derby winner? Gelded? And it does start to raise a few eyebrows and ask questions, but um, he used to be known as Godolphin John, so we'll just continue to call him that. Uh, Godolphin John on, on Twitter, uh, who surprisingly works for Godolphin, uh, he, made the, he made the point to me that, well, there's just too many sons of Galileo at stud. And looking at, at the at the list here, um, this is the top 50. Obviously, Galileo is, is still hugely important. But clearly, the industry, as you alluded to, given his fee, um, have started to look elsewhere. And you're now looking at an acclamation in Dark Angel, a Dane Hill in Kodiak, a Shamadal in Lope de Vega, a Dubai Millennium in, in Dubawi. Um, they're the top five currently that, that I'm looking at on, on TDN for leading sires in Europe, I should stress, by the way. That's leading sires in Europe. Uh, when you start to factor in North America, it gets it gets a little bit more uh, tricky and uh, and expands a bit more. But for the purposes of this and the fact that our listenership is mostly Europe, um, that that's intriguing that the industry seems to be moving away from, from that particular northern dancer line and, and looking elsewhere. And I guess that's the story of breeding. You have to either you adapt or you die. Um, and it's it's to the advantage of, of those who have uh, Dark Angels, Kodiaks, Lope de Vegas um, going into the sales. They'll be, they'll be loving life right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think I, I also, th- you know, obviously they've got the on the mare side as well. You kind of ha- you, you, you do you do have to look because Galileo is such a, bra- a great brood mare sire as well, and obviously you know Dane Hill is a fantastic brood mare sire, and and, and you know there's all these things you've got to factor in as well. It's like, it's not just the sire that you use, but it's what's on the dam side. You kind of have to find the nick there. And obviously, you know, one thing that I was always taught was to breed physic, you know, physic to fit, uh, breed your mare to your stallion. As in like, if she's incorrect in any way, you try and counteract that with a very correct stallion. And, you know, if you've got a small, you know, a mare that's not particularly, 
pretty, then you'd send them to a stallion who's, you know, can put a, a bit of looks into, into a foal and things like that. So that was always something that was kind of drilled into me was, you know, not just breeding nicks, but also breeding, you know, to suit your mare. Um, also, also, I think, you know, as well, like, while Galileo was a fantastic sire of two-year-olds, you know, they weren't, you know, not necessarily, they weren't always the, you know, the most precocious. Obviously, there were, you know, there are horses that were very precocious, a two-year-old by Galileo, but, you know, the, the Kodiaks, I mean, he's, you know, he's rare, he's known as a sire of two-year-olds. Um, Dark Angel again. And, you know, there's there's a number of sires there that, you know, were, were known to kind of give you the precocity. So, you know, there was a few years there where people were really breeding you know, to suit the two-year-old market. Um, so that's probably another factor as well. So as we look towards the sales and, and look for for um, those outside of that or, or those who are going to, to really tear it up um, this time around, uh, you, you've mentioned a few already. Um, who else is going to be very much in demand on, on the basis of what we've seen on the track? So we, we've just seen the first... A group one two-year-old race and it's gone surprise surprise to Aiden O'Brien um it's a it's a real shame to hear the news about Brad Sell um and, and well done for highlighting that but he can only beat what's put in front of him and he has beat he has thrashed the railway winner uh who's back in third yeah. by seven and a half lengths Persian force is is a horse of of good substance it was a shame that um uh Blackbeard had to come out from an allergy I think he would have run a massive race and would have put an interesting spin on it too but he's bolted up by seven lengths and no never no never still a young stallion he's only 11 and he's mm-hmm. a real bull you were talking about seeing justify i haven't seen him up close but no never there was three handlers looking after him at coolmore and he was like a bull um and and as you said very precocious uh, horse uh, royal ascot winner at two group one winner in france as well as a juvenile um he has all the attributes and is now displaying it on the track as well. He was doing that beforehand, but definitely now with Little Big Bear emerging on the scene. And he looks to be a real monster of a horse to go forward to. And Aidan O'Brien's already talked about seven furlongs and a mile for him. Um, he's going to be a big influence on what happens now at the sales with Nona Nevers. Definitely. You know, I think I think people will definitely be latching on to the sun. Like, well, obviously, if they can't afford No Name Never, they'll be latching on to the sons of No Name Never. Mm. Um, so you've got 10 sovereigns there. And again, I saw a few 10 sovereigns at the sales and they're all lovely horses. Um, you know, they look they look to all have some quality and some substance about them. Um, so I'd imagine they will be popular at the yearling sales this year, amongst probably amongst trainers and breeze up consigners alike. Um, you know, you've got you've got different avenues when you go to these yearling sales. You've got different people buying for different reasons. Um, so yeah, I'd imagine they'll be they'll be of interest to people. Land Force is another one um, who who will be of interest. I didn't see too many of them at the full sales, um, but I would say that they they probably will go down very nicely. Um, it's, I you know I think I think it, yeah, like Noni never is is probably he's he's definitely you know a fantastic sire for Coolmore to have and he's as you say he's young he's still only young so you know whatever I mean Little Big Bear is going to be a very exciting prospect to go to stud for them uh, when he does go um, they've also got Arizona in their, in their ranks as well I think he's just he's first full crop so we'll see them at the full sales in November um, but yeah it's um, you know it's it's an interesting there's, there's a stallion there for everybody, I think, you know, in terms of what people want when they buy horses. 
Um, obviously, you've got the likes of Waldgeist, who was, um, he's an ARC winner uh, from France by Galileo. Um, but that's not to say that he, he won't get a precocious one. I mean, he was a group one winning two-year-old himself. So, you know, it, it's not to say that he won't get two-year-olds, definitely not. And actually, Brian Sheeran, um, who's, you know, who you said earlier was our uh, recent um, addition to the TDN team, spoke to John O'Connor um, about Waldgeist. Uh, in an article in today's TDN, just leading up to the Arcana sales. So, um, yeah, it's it just to kind of depends on what you're got. Like, you know, I think everybody has a criteria when they go to the sales and kind of what they're looking for. So, it, it you know, you kind of have to fit um, type and pedigree into that into that criteria. And those who are doing well stateside, uh, when we switch focus over there, how? Because obviously, when you go really back in the day, and the, the history of racing is is fascinating. Uh, John Magner and Vincent O'Brien going over to America and investing in Sons of Northern Dancer and bringing them over to Ireland to race in in the UK, Ireland and and around the world. I mean, that changed the game. Um, uh, People thought Vincent O'Brien was crazy to be flying his horses to race courses, never mind investing in in American stallions. Uh, And and obviously that's paid dividends, but it doesn't always translate that success in the dirt will work on on turf. How influential and how important are American stallions going to be at these sales? And are there any that really stand out to you? Um, Emmett, to be honest, I haven't really uh, seen too many American sired horses in the catalogs just yet. I haven't gone through the catalogs with a fine tooth comb just yet. Um, there's, enough that, there's enough that you've gone through already, in fairness, to be throwing that grenade at you. Uh, <laughs> pick the American stallions for us there, Elena. Um, there's so um, well obviously I mean the thing is like so like in so obviously we're focusing on Europe obviously the first yearling sale in Europe is is happening late this week but America's already had um, a yearling sale um, at Phasic Tipping in July Um, and then they're having their kind of elite so Saratoga um, is happening today and tomorrow I want to say um so that they're interesting sales to, to follow. Obviously, TDM will have the full report, so please do download the paper. Um, but you know, la- last year at Keeneland, um, I just remember, like, I remember last year it was just it was a frenzy. People buying like people buying horses, you know, just spending a load of money, and it went through the whole books. They've got six books at Keeneland, and it wasn't that it fell away at any book. Every single book was strong, uh, but particularly at book one. Um, there was these syndicates that were that were targeting colts for stallions as uh, stallion prospects. Um, so you know it's 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 um, there's a lot of buoyancy in the American market at the minute. I think obviously like when you talk about prize money, the prize money in America is fantastic. I mean you can get a maiden there for you know cow like forty thousand upwards kind of thing. Like the, the race the racing system like the prize money system over there is just is, is phenomenal. Um, but obviously the stallions that you know there's. There's obviously the likes of Madagui Doro at, at Darley, who's you know he's he's a bit he's a bit older now, but he's obviously he's always he's you know he's a, a Group One sire. He's he's been phenomenal. Um, I think he's currently eighth on the general sires list uh, on TDN. You've got Quality Road there, who stands at Lane's End into Mischief, um, whose um, life is good. Just won at Saratoga. Um, Emblem Road is a horse that went to Saudi, and he's by Quality Road. Um, Curlin is obviously another very um, kind of influential stallion actually at the Dubai Breeze Up sale um, that was an inaugural sale this past year at the Breeze Ups um, one of his progeny topped that sale um, so that's interesting uh, Uncle Mo 
who's that Coolmore. Um, and then obviously American Pharaoh is another interesting horse. He's probably one that, you know, kind of does do well on both codes. He's had um he's had a great one winner on the turf and the dirt, I wanna say. Pretty sure. I think you're right. Um yeah, you know, and he's he, again he's a triple crown winner. Another lovely horse. Um <coughs> so yeah, I mean that the, he he's probably I, I know that Aiden O'Brien had um some horses by American Pharaoh. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always kind of, you know, if they're a good stallion on the dirt, doesn't mean they're going to be a good stallion on the turf. You kind of, you know, a kitten's joy was a, a good example of that. He just seemed like, unfortunately he's dead now, but his horses tended to be better on the turf. And actually I think what you were saying there about, you know, American horses being influential in Europe, I actually think it's kind of the other way at the minute with the amount of people that are coming over here and buying progeny for, you know, buy European stallions for the American turf um, series. Uh, you know, Mike Ryan is a big, big bloodstock agent. He comes over to book one every year and, and he spends millions buying horses at book one. Um, uh Bradley Wiseboard and Liz Crow are another um, American agency that come over to buy horses. Um, you know, they're they're kind of they're um, they're with Brad Cox, who's a great trainer in America. And they spend a lot of money. You get a lot of American agents now coming over to book one because the turf. Uh, there's a lot that you know they're realizing that the turf racing in America is actually quite lucrative. Um, so I think what will be interesting to see is how influential European stallions now become in Europe. Or in America, sorry. And actually, Dark Angel, we were talking about Dark Angel. His He has a son standing um, at Gainesway, I want to say, Raging Bull. Um, so I think, you know, that's quite interesting to see how he'll do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's um, obviously, I think, you know, I think it works both ways. But I, I, what I'd be more interested in now is seeing how all these European breads do when you know when they're taken from the European sales and now they're going to America and they're winning these grade ones and when they go to stud how are they going to do yeah just on the the whole American how it's switched around um because it is quite extraordinary the way this is going but it's largely due to the increase in turf racing which you alluded to and when I was getting into racing and even a few years ago it was all about the dirt uh and you'll remember when Santa Anita was switched to uh, the all-weather surface, the Americans kind of rebelled against that. I don't think they liked the fact that John Gosden and Aidan O'Brien had the 1-2 in the Reader's Cup Classic one year, uh, with yeah. Henry the Navigator being just just going down fighting um, against John, John Gosden's Myler, and and therefore that got ripped up and the dirt was, the dirt was put back. Uh, and to be fair, I got that. I understood why. There was a big push from Europeans, and uh, particularly the British and Irish media, that all-weather racing is the way forward and this is how it should be. But if American racing is built on the history and the bloodlines are, are so rich with dirt racing, and that's what you've grown up on, you wouldn't like it if someone came around and, and said, yeah, we're going to rip all that up. We don't care about the history and the legacy of it. That's all gone. Forget about the achievements of Stormcat as a stallion. We're going to go with others. And now you have to rethink how you're training and you have to rethink the bloodlines. That's, that's not something that really works. Um, but what is fascinating to me is just how much turf racing has become more important in America because that was always the the unloved son to a certain extent. It was like it was there, it was fine, but they weren't really into it. Now they're very into it, and prize money is, seems to be the key there. 
I remember having a conversation with a pretty big owner a couple of years ago. I'm not going to say who it was because it wouldn't be fair. Um, and, and he was saying at, during that conversation that he was giving serious consideration to having his horses trained in America, or at least more of them trained stateside, because of the prize money. And because he was doing so much business over there that he, he would be on the East Coast and he could just go to New York, watch a horse run at Saratoga, back on a plane, back to the UK, and then he's back over there a couple of weeks later. And when you see the amount of money that's being, that's going for maiden special weights compared to the amount of money that's on offer in the UK, this seems to be something that's really changing the mindset of Americans. And to be fair, uh, of, of European owners as well, Joseph O'Brien set up a satellite yard out there uh, in New York, and uh, there are other trainers who are becoming more focused on that too. And there's a lot of owners who are moving their horses stateside, and it all seems to come to the prize money and the Americans becoming more and more interested in turf racing. Like, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the Americans winning the Breeders' Cup Mile or the Breeders' Cup Turf would have been scoffed at. I mean, you'd just be like, nah, that's not going to happen. Andre Fab, Aidan O'Brien, John Gosden, Sir Michael Stout, they've got something that's going to crush them. But now, the Americans are a major player when it comes to the turf racing, um, so much so that they're coming over to Royal Ascot. So that's something that perhaps... Look, it's a very different funding model, and there's always going to be more prize money stateside, but that is something that's going to start to handicap British and Irish racing going forward. Yeah, but I think we're already seeing that. I mean, the amount of horses that, you know, that are getting shipped out to America now is, is um, it's a little bit worrying. You know, when we have the horses in training, say, at the end of October, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of horses that are going down to Australia. There's a lot of horses going to America, and you know, I know, um, you know, there was a, just a personal story that I, I just happened to listen to. A friend of mine sold a horse, I think he was 85 rated, um, an 85 rated handicapper here, um, was bought by an agent who buys for America and Australia, was going to Australia, was going to um, Santa Anita. And I think now it's won, um, I want to say it's won a couple of grade threes and it's probably grouped grade two place now. Yeah, do you know? And I mean, it's inter- it's 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 interesting, and obviously, but obviously, you know, people. And like another example was there was another trainer who um, who has you know he wouldn't have a massive string. He probably has about twenty. Um, he had a horse that I think it was probably rated in the fifty. Again, this is all kind of loose. I can't exactly remember the exact rations and things like that. So it's you know it's just it's an anecdotal story, but. Um, the horse was probably rated in the fifties. He got it rated about, I think it was about seventy or so, you know, in the in the high seventies when he went to sell it. Um, he sold out of horses and training sale for fifty grand. Um, it's got out to America, and I'd say it's doing all right out there. Do you know? And they they bought that for seven and a half grand. So you know, but they 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 were having a lot of fun with the horse. But when this trainer had a connection to America, and they said, you know, you could sell that horse out here, and you'd make you you know you'd never if you sold them out here for 50 grand, you, you know, you'd never make that back in England kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, you know, th- that was obviously very attractive to the owners. Obviously they were having a great time with the horse, but when the bills start coming in, um, you know, having a great time when he pays for so much, um, you know, and it, look, it's, it's a worrying thing. It's, you know, we were kind of talking about, you know, um, prize money and things like that before we came onto the podcast. You know, but I don't. I don't know what the answer is. I think you know, France have quite a good model, and they seem to be really pro about you know, you know, they they really want you to race your horses. You know, they give you a stipend to travel your horse in France and things like that. And obviously, um, 
you know, it, it, Amy Murphy has set up a satellite yard there and she's done really well uh, with horses going over there. So did you see her most, know, did you see Amy Murphy's most recent quote in the Racing Post? I didn't. Her most recent quote was, it's not about setting up the satellite yard and keeping that going. It's now about, do we make the move permanent to France? Uh, isn't that depressing? Very much so. You know, Amy Murphy is is a fantastic dual-purpose trainer. She's She works incredibly hard. She's a, And to boot, she's a lovely person. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I see her. I'm on the gallops. I see her. She's always got a smile on her face. She's always, you know, she always wants to say hi to you. She'll, she'll help you out. She's helped Julia out. Um, you know, on numerous occasions with, you know, different things. And, you know, it, it's sad when a young person like that wants to move to a different country because the racing in the country that they're in isn't, isn't you know, help, isn't helping them. The industry isn't helping young people, you know. Uh, <coughs> there's another, Like, I know young people who want to be trainers, but it's just, it, what what is, the, what is the point currently in becoming a trainer? You know, the prize money is not great. Um, you know, the staffing issue is becoming increasingly more worrying. And these are things that, you know, we've not, these are new developments in the industry. We've been talking about prize money for years. We've been talking about staffing issues for years. It's not that this has just happened in the last year. It's not, but I I don't, uh, this infuriates me when, you know, people come up with these problems, but they don't come up with a solution. I'm like, look, I'm probably doing it right now. I don't have a solution to these answers. I think with the staffing issue, you need you need to make the working hours more attractive. Be it, you know, you, like your riders work. Like I know, again, like personal like experience with Julia Fielding. Like her riders, you know, they ride out in the morning. They'll brush their horses off after they're finished riding, and then they go home and they don't come back. And then we've got people who will come and do evening stables, but evening stables isn't like a traditional evening stables. You you, you know, you hay, you water, uh, you make sure the horses are comfortable. Um, you kind of do up the box a little bit and then you feed, um, you know, so it's not a traditional evening stables anymore, but you know, there are some yards who are still trying to keep that model going. Um, but I just, you know, you can't, and obviously like, you know, people want to have a life as well. Um, and, and they, sh- and they should, they have every right to want to have a life. You know, you shouldn't be, I always get this one wrong. You shouldn't be living to work. You should be working to live. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a no. lot of sense. And that is, so I, I, that, that should be the, the motto for life, really. I mean, yeah. work is important yeah, I, and it's, it's important for, for your mindset. And there's, there's, yeah. all, there's, um, there's the talk about what happens to a person when they retire. Uh, some people really yeah. thrive in retirement. Some people can't settle in it. It's, it's a yeah. difficult thing to balance. So work is important, but you've got to be able to relax. You have to be able to enjoy life and I mean, I said this to you beforehand as well the, about speaking to trainers who are having a real staffing crisis and, and not being able to keep well, to keep staff. Emma, or- I've just had a text come through. Uh, a press statement has come out. Henry Harry Dunlop is going to stop training at the end of the year. What? Yeah, he's he's just he's put out a, a statement. He is. Um, yeah, he's stopping training at the end of the twenty twenty two flat season. That's a major, major story, and it's a major blow as well, because Harry Dunlop is, look, this year hasn't exactly been the best of them, but Harry Dunlop has been a fixture in racing for as long as I can remember. Um, It's been 
it's been tough, I suppose, for the, the last few seasons. Um, would Night to Behold have been his best? Maybe. Uh, but he was a very influential, incredibly important trainer. And he's gone uh, at the end of the yeah. season. Like, this can't, this isn't sustainable. The amount of trainers that we're losing, the amount of, even speaking to, to young people who have become assistant trainers and are then, obviously, if you become assistant trainer, the vast majority of people have one eye on becoming a trainer. And the amount of them I've spoken to who have been told no or just have been advised, don't do it, it's a nightmare, is frightening. Like this, It's an incredibly yeah. negative time for tra- and look, Elena and I aren't like ringing the bell of doom here. Like we both love the sport, but you've just got a text. It's not on the Racing Post yet, uh, as we're recording on on Monday the eighth of August. But you've just gotten a, a WhatsApp telling you that one of that a legendary trainer is giving up, and he's not giving up for his. I'm guessing this is not Harry Dunlop hanging up the the training, um, the uh, the reins of being a trainer because he's decided. Ah, that's it. I've I've achieved all I can achieve. I'm out. He's doing it because there's no bloody prize money to be won. And and how yeah, do you say, how do you get owners in um and and turn them over if you're if you're constantly having to tell them, yeah, look, I'm really sorry, we've got to go for a race that's worth four grand. Yeah. Well he said my main reason is that it is so hard to keep a business thriving in the current economic climate. When you don't have a huge string of horses to cover the rising costs of staff, transport, feed, bedding, it is not viable. Jesus. But it's not though. Like it's 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 it... It's getting increasingly harder. And like, yeah, like I think, every, well, like, you know, the world around, I think every business is kind of struggling at the minute, you know, like the rising fuel costs and everything. Like it's not, it's not just singular to horse racing, but you know, there's only, there's only so much that you can do yourself before it gets to a breaking point. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I've spoken to a few people about it and like the kind of, some people have said, oh, like the BHA just want to have, you know, a certain number of trainers who all have like 300, 400 horses each and they just control those trainers. Some people just say they don't want to help the small guy. Um, you know, but if you, if you are like, I don't know, like if you are a young person, like it's a wonderful sport to get involved in. And like, you know, I mean, training horses is, I don't think there's anything better than standing up on the gallops. And the sun is rising. You, like, yeah, okay. You're blurry eyed. You're still drinking your first cup of coffee in the morning, but you're watching your horses go up in front of you. The sun's rising, and there's there isn't a better feeling in the world. And I'm quite lucky that I do get to do that on Saturday morning. Watch horses working, um, and it is one of the joys of my life is being able to watch horses work. And but there's that's not going to keep you going, um, you know. And I, I think you know there, there there are young people who are kind of like well i'll just like you know there's people who are like oh, i'll just go to america like, obviously the visas are an issue but like i have i have friends who won't work in this industry because there is no money in it whereas they if they go to australia or they go to america they can actually get paid well because a they well they work hard but b you know because of the system out there they're able to pay well um and also i think the other thing is as well like people who are looking after the horses that actually put on the sport don't get paid what they should. I mean, there should be an element of danger money. <laughs> horses, I, I love horses, and you know, but they can be dangerous, and you can get seriously injured with them. Especially, you know, colts, um, especially baby, like you know, the yearlings and, and two year olds. You can get seriously hurt. I mean, today at Kempton, there was 
you know, uh, right, the second race, I think, um, two jockeys had a bit of a nasty spell. And, and I know one of them rode a winner 30 minutes later, but Jack Mitchell had a horrible fall at, at Newmarket on Friday night, I think it was. Um, you know, and that's that's flat racing. That's not jumps racing, which is 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're looking after horses, you know, it's, you know, I think like truck drivers get paid quite well because obviously it's a very unsocial job and you kind of work in different hours. But obviously they get, they get paid well because of the, the style of work, whereas it doesn't translate in horse racing. It's people who are in sitting in offices who are detached from the horses that are getting paid really well, who are making sometimes poor decisions. So, you know, it's, it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't I, as I said, I'd love to have the answer because I hate being one of those people who comes up with a problem and complains about it and doesn't give you a solution. I don't like being that person, but I don't, I, I don't know enough about it to be able to give you a logical and, and clear answer about it. But something, something has to give, something has to change and it needs to happen quite soon. Uh, very much so. And I was just thinking actually of how this is going to impact because everything trickles down in racing you know, from broadcasters and media rights trainers, jockeys, it all filters down. So if you're in the business of producing feed for horses, um, if you're in the business of transporting racehorses, I was talking to you beforehand about a trainer, a group one winning trainer who drives the horse box because it's the only way it can be viable. And he just said, yeah, roll up the sleeves and we get on with it. Um, He doesn't necessarily advertise that, but he wasn't afraid or ashamed to say it. That's the only way they could do it. So transportation, staff, um, you could put in accommodation into that. Dennis O'Regan was on the show talking about Galway. We got him on as he was on the way up there. And uh, jokingly, I said, so have you got jockeys getting on to you, Dennis, about wanting to sleep in, in your room, stay on the couch or sleep on the floor? And he said, that's what I have to do. I'm, I have to figure out where it is I'm going to stay because you can't get accommodation in Galway, um, which is just laughable. But he's, he's held a training license for 16 years and he can't make a pay. So mm-hmm. how, are, how are the lower end trainers? You know, the, think of the trainers whose bread and butter is Lingfield, Southall, Chelmsford, Kempton, like with all due respect to those tracks. How are they supposed to make it work? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it's... <laughs> Like, like Julia, Julia Fielding is, is one of these straight like we you know our we we kind of they're our bread and butter you know Brighton Yarmouth Lingfield Kempton Southall places like that that's where we tend to run mm. um, but like you know Julia like Julia has to drive the box herself if she's not driving it Ross my my husband's driving it her son um, you know Julia has been known to lead up occasionally because we haven't had the staff um you know, and it, we're we're look, we're quite lucky. A lot of our horses are in syndicates of people who um, have been with Julia for years and have continued to support her. Um, and they they just love it for the love of you know the horse. They they don't see the prize money aspect of it. They you know obviously they would like to be running for more, but they just want to go and enjoy their time and and be social and, and watch their horse run. And Julia, like you know, that's a very fortunate position. But there are trainers out there like Julia who probably may not be training in a few years time. And, you know, I don't, 
you know, there might, maybe there was somebody in the yard who thought, right, I'll take over in a couple of years, but now they might not be thinking that. Um, and again, like, you know, I get like the work, uh, the workload is becoming increasingly harder, you know, for that group one trainer to have to be driving a box. Like, I, I, I don't think anybody should be above work. I don't mm. think, you know, okay, just because he's a group one trainer, he shouldn't be above driving the box. And uh, But at the same time, you'd think, you know, a yard like that would have those kind of positions filled. Um, you know, and, and the fact that it's becoming harder, you know, to fill those positions is a worry. I I, I will say, like, I, I, I don't envy traveling people at the minute because the, the roads in England are an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, a journey that you think would take, you know, whatever, you know, you set out and you think like a prime example was Yarmouth a few weeks ago. Yarmouth's like an hour and a half away from Newmarket. It took two and a half hours to get there, Um, which is absolutely ridiculous. Do you know, like Yarmouth used to be one of the easiest tracks to get to from Newmarket, obviously aside from Newmarket itself. But, you know, if you had to travel anywhere, you'd be delighted that you'd be going to, to, to Yarmouth. Uh, and but the other night it was it was two and a half hours and then you know another you know coming back from Yarmouth on a separate occasion uh the roads were closed because it was an evening meeting um so the roads got closed you know before this trainer had set out uh and they had to go back roads which in a box is not you know in a in a two box when you got like even you know any kind of horse box back roads are not pleasant um for anybody there's bends that you know you have to go slowly around and you can't see them in the dark and all these other factors so you know driving in england is becoming a nightmare um which again is you know bad for lifestyle because you're spending so much time on the road that you're not getting to spend time at home you're not getting to do anything other because you know you think you're going to be home by a certain time and you plan something but then oh no you're not because there's been an accident and you're stuck in central traffic for the next two hours um I, you know <laughs> I just, I just think like the industry is a wonderful industry to work in. And I'm very fortunate to work in it. I'm very fortunate to grow up in it, and I love it. And I'd hate to think that I wouldn't have an industry to work in in a few years' time. But at the same time, it's just worrying the direction we're going in, and I worry that it, you know, again, this has been touted by pe- by people who know way more about the industry than I do. But it's going to be like I'm worried that it's going to become a feeder. Um, to other jurisdictions um and you know there's a lot of there's, there's trainers that i've spoken to again who said that you know they could become free trainers charge more per day and be able to get 10 horses into the yard tomorrow whereas they wouldn't be able to do that as an as a trainer that's frightening which is ridiculous like you know that shouldn't be the case like you know free trainers now are, be, are you know are able to train you know able to charge more per day than some trainers are and they're constantly full year round where, you know, and, and again, that's, that's a worry. That's a worrying thing. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, some trainers, like they don't want to do that because obviously there's no, you know, there's, there is joy in being able to get a horse to a certain point and, you know, get, getting them fit and getting them ready to run and things like that. But at the same time, it's, you're not getting any of the credit for that. You know, you've done the hard graph, but then it goes into the trainer, gallops three times, it runs, it wins. And, trainer gets the credit do you know so uh, you know i wouldn't it's a terrible thing but in 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 a you know in a few years time you know i'd hate to see it happen but it could be a case where there's just a whole lot of pre-trainers feeding into a few big yards well that's 
that's the big factor that needs to be looked at right now is, and you and I were speaking about this last year, since the Final Forum podcast started, we've talked about prize money and what a joke it is. Mm. And all it's done mm-hmm. is, is gone down. It has declined each, to, each year. Um, I mean, I'm involved in ownership in a very, 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 very small way. But I'm I'm a very proud owner of, of Come On to Burley, um, the the horse that I was um, invested in. First of all, I had to be retired, uh, and she's gone off to be a, a broodmare, and I'm, I'm sure she'll do terrific. But Come On to Burley is, is the horse we're, we're involved in now, and you know, Come On to Burley is a good horse. We're going to have great days with her. She was second in a, in a hurdle race on her debut at Roscommon the other night, uh, and we'll have a lot of fun with her. But when you're over in the UK. And, and you're around with different trainers in Ireland and you're speaking to them directly about prize money. And, and Ireland's not immune from this either, by the way. Prize money continues to be the factor. And the only way that it's economically viable for me to be an owner is in a syndicate, in, in All About Sunday or the David Pipe Racing Club. That's the only way that it's, it's viable for me to do it. If I won the lottery mm. tomorrow, I would love to put a horse in training with Sarah Lynham um, and let's, let's roll the dice for the guineas and try and find something great. But like the likelihood that you're going to find a superstar is so small. It's so small that you're going to roll the dice and, and uh, land on 12. Um, so you're in it because you love the sport and you're taking mm. that, that risk. But when you speak to owners who are looking at it from the perspective of, I can get on a flight, go to New York, watch my horse run and fly back. I don't even have business interests out there. And that's more economically viable than having a horse in training at Newmarket or Lambourne or having a horse in training in Ireland because the prize money doesn't doesn't work, whereas in America it does. That's scary. That is a scary thing. And there doesn't seem to be any real vision from the BHA. And if there is a vision from them, great. It's not being demonstrated, though. It's not being shown the leadership and the direction that racing is going to go in. And that's what you have to talk. Ultimately, the BHA are the... They're the safeguard of racing. Not only are they running it, they have to protect it. And you have to come up with a vision for how you're going to oversee the sport and how you're going to lead it. And I don't see that from them. Maybe they're doing something, sure but I, I don't... About the whip in years. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another big topic that, that's come up. And, um, like, Neil Callan wasn't shy about getting stuck into them when he was on the final furlong a few weeks ago and even on, on TalkSport on Friday afternoon. Uh, we spoke to him live and... That, that conversation was going to be mostly about uh, the, the Shergar Cup. In the end, we barely touched on it. We barely talked, and he ended up riding two winners there because he was getting stuck into the BHA so much. Uh, and talking about trainers who were refocusing. Like, how, how crazy is it that a three-time champion jockey gets an offer from Hong Kong and goes, yeah, I'm going to take that, bye. Yeah. And you think it's going to stop there? You think that Sylvester D'Souza is going to be Harry like uh, Harry Bentley's been out there for a year? Um, uh, Sylvester D'Souza is going now. You think it's going to stop with him? They're going to come for more jockeys, or other jurisdictions are going to come for them and say, hey, "Do you know what? It would be good for us if we get this jockey in." That's a three-time champion jockey who's gone, but I'm out. And his line was. The, the headline of the Racing Post was, you need to have a stable, if you a big stable. If you don't have a big stable, you can't make it work. Well, his prize money mm. this season was pretty good. It, the, the number of winners that he'd ridden wouldn't be up to his average standard. But even if you just think about it from a lifestyle perspective, 
he can be in Hong Kong where it's a stone's throw journey for the three tracks out there. Meanwhile, yeah. if he's at the racing league at Doncaster, like Marco Gianni, who we spoke to on Friday, my producer did an interview with him. Um, he had to drive five hours from Doncaster to Brighton. Like that's absolutely crazy. It's not sustainable to to put the body and the mind through that. Speaking with a, a jockey in the final furlong last year and uh, off air, he was saying, I've got to go up to the north to ride a horse who's 33 to one, doesn't have a hope in hell of winning, but I have to do it because I need to keep the owner happy. Yeah. Like, Do you remember when Jockey used to be able to ride at, at team meetings a day? Do you think that should come back? No. I agree with that. I, I think you're right. I do not think that should come back at all. I think, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't know how Jockey did it in the first place. Obviously, you know, the bigger Jockeys were able to get on a, on a helicopter or whatever or have a chauffeur. But if you're, you know, a workman Jockey, you know, and you've got one ride here, one ride there, like, it's, it's you know... I, I don't know how they did it, to be honest, well, and I, I don't think it should. I don't think it should come back. No, I really don't. I, I agree with you. There, there was the glamorous side of Channel Four racing, showing like Ryan Moore arriving by helicopter or getting in a helicopter to go from Doncaster to Leopardstown on Irish Champions Weekend to ride in the St. Ledger and then ride in the Irish Champion Stakes. That's great when you're at that level, but mm. if you're getting a phone call from a trainer who's saying, "Look, I've gonna have, I'm gonna have a horse racing here, and then later that evening, I'm gonna have a horse there," and the own the owners respectively want you on both. You're having to do it out of an obligation, not because it's good for you. And that's not healthy. Like the, the punishment that a jockey takes on their diet alone, never mind the inevitable injuries that are going to happen, because you're going to fall. If you don't fall in a race, you're going to fall in work. Uh, and how that, how that works and how your body is able to maintain that and work through it. Um, the, the whole thing of cutting the saunas, I'm mixed on that because I speak to some jockeys who, who think that's a great thing. Some are, say it's an absolute nightmare for them. Um, some jockeys don't care because they have their own saunas at home. But even just looking at, like I'm, I'm 13 stone. I should be 12, realistically, right? But guess what? COVID happened. I don't care. I'm happy like this. I'm fine. And I don't, I'm not an elite athlete. I don't have to get on a racehorse and compete. But when you read about a jockey's lowest weight being eight stone, how in the name of God do you sustain yourself and do that? And do that weekly. Put yourself through the grueling punishment of riding work and then competing in a horse race at, at that kind of weight? No. It's not healthy. Uh, and, and then you're yeah. bringing the whole prize money factor into it as well. Like that, Yeah, it's it's an absolute disaster what's, what's happening in the sport. And to see Harry Dunlop go, and the trainers who've gone before him. And here's the sad thing, Elena. Harry's not going to be the last. He won't even be the last no. this year. No. No, he won't. Ooh, it's, um, it's scary. Uh, let, let's just touch on... So you mentioned the, the sales at Saratoga, which are coming up, uh, the Fasig Tipton sale. We've got the Tattersall's October yearling sale uh, coming up as well, as we try to get back into good mood. La, la, la. Everything's <laughs> great. Hey, listen, the world of racing's <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. Do you hear the hooping and yollering there from Elena? Oh, it's all good. That, that, that. We'll just focus on American racing if we have to. That's that's it. Um, yeah, we got the, the, the white paper for the gambling white papers coming out as well. Like That's been kicked down the road so many times. 
Um, I, spoke, I had an MP on the show talking about it, and I remember saying to him, "This is this isn't going to come out in May." Uh, and yeah, okay, the special circumstances and the fact that the UK is currently going for a new leadership, uh, a new leader. Um, but I knew it wasn't going to come out in, in, in at the end of May. I, I knew they were going to kick that can down the road even further. And even when it does come out, that's going to be a nightmare too. No matter what's in it, whether it's good or bad, there's still going to be people who are who are um, who are terrified of it and, and its impact on, on the sport. Um, but there's 223 grouper listed scorers who are going to be on offer at the Telesol's October yearling sale. And I did notice that there are either full or half brothers to Reath. Harry Angel, Barney Roy, Broom, St. Mark's Basilica, um, who's obviously going to be a very important stallion. We'll see how he does. And uh, and Poet's Word and, and Magna Grecia. Um, so in terms of the sales that are coming up, we've got some very exciting bloodstock to look forward to. Yes, we do. Um, also, just at our corner this week, obviously, you've got the full to Sotsas, and you've got the half to Nashua. Um, so yeah, this Arcana is gonna Arcana is kind of like the uh, you know the champagne in the champagne you know in the champagne glass. This is like mm-hmm. this is where it all kicks off. Everyone's in a great mood. Obviously, going to Deauville in the summertime can't be a bad thing. Um, so yeah, Arcana is a, is a great you know start to the season. And obviously, Arcana has kind of changed their format a little bit. So it used to be, um, the sale was Saturday. Um, to Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday were the first part of the sale and then Tuesday was the second part, whereas now the sale is Saturday, Sunday, Monday um, and the second part of the sale is now in September. So basically this week is all elite year, elite um, yearlings that are on offer um, and the, some of the consignments that you should watch out for are month, Eckerd, Monso, they, they you know traditionally top the sale, um, Etraham, Monterey, Coulances, uh, um, uh, Capucine. There's, oh, look, I, I shouldn't have gone down that road because there's so many and uh, they're all coming off my head. So I'm just going to be here forever talking about all the science. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's just some like brilliantly bred horses, obviously. And then, you know, you go to the Goss Orby in Ireland. There's, again, there's some really nice bred horses in that. And then, um, you know, you go to book one. And I remember like my first book one, I, I think it was in 2017, was the first one that I went to. And there were 17 seven figure lots. And I, you know, I just, I was like, Oh my God, this is insane. And I, like, I have to say, it's always book one. And you know, these elite sales are always like, get your popcorn ready and just watch the elite bloodstock go through. Um, but yeah, book one looks particularly strong this year. Like, you know, Edmund, um, I don't, I always say surname, Mahoney, um, he he's come out you know he's the director of Tadasauce he's come out and said that you know even by its you know usual standards this is a very strong book um you know and there's a half Desert Crown in there who won the Epsom Derby um there's the half to Cache who won the Guineas um there's Alcohol Free sibling in there Perfect Power sibling in there Spiral sibling in there um you know there's 17 by Galileo in there it's just I mean I could you know it's yeah it's, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting. You know, you kind of, the sales seasons tend to be, you know, they do tend to be a bit long. You know, it's starting off now this week. You've kind of got this week and you've got like a week's grace. Then it's Goffs UK. Um, then it's the Tattersall Summerville Yearling Sale, which is, is a relatively new addition to the, to the, to the calendar. Um, but again, it's a great sale. Brad sale came from that sale last year. Um, and so did Eddie's boy, actually. Um, then you go, then it's like um, Francis part two. 
Then you come to Tattersalls, you've got Tattersalls Ireland, part one and two, you've got Goss Orby Sportsman. Then you come to Tattersalls England for two weeks, book one, two, three, four. Um, and then you go back to France for a sale in France. So it's it's a long stint, but it's a great stint. And yeah, it's exciting. It's, you know, even if you just read, you know, the, one of the reports after one of the sales and just see where, the, where all these horses are going, it's, um, it's exciting to kind of take note and, and hopefully see them come to the track next year. And obviously as well, you've got the pin hooks and um, people, you know, there's a strong pin hook market at the fall sales. Um, so it's always interesting kind of following those through and seeing how they, how they get on at the various yearling sales. And then obviously you've got the people who buy them at yearling sales to go to the breeze up. So yeah, there's plenty to keep a busy mind, uh, ticking over. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously there will be copious amounts of coffee drink and, um, <laughs> Yeah, but we'll get there. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, copious amounts of coffee. That's just basically my mantra. I was I was watching uh, For All Mankind uh, on Apple TV Plus yesterday, and I was just sitting there watching. It's a terrific series. If you've never watched it, I highly recommend it. And um, my Apple Watch beeps at me and says, you've been sitting, you seem to have been sitting motionless for 10 minutes, yet your heart rate has gone to 110 uh uh, has just hit 110. Uh, are you okay? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Tenth cup of coffee later. Another, another espresso. <laughs> Throw another one in there. It's currently 98 BPM as I'm recording the show, and it really should be down. To, oh, it's just biked to 111. It's clearly listening Uh-oh. to me. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, uh, you don't get content unless I'm fueled full of coffee. Uh, dark stallions to, to watch out for. So, um, is there any any particular sire that you think hasn't so, so much been high profile but is about to explode onto the scene uh, as we come to these upcoming sales? Um, I think just from the first seasons, Mass Sire is one that you should take note of. Um, he's not got massive numbers going to sales, but I, I think like last year at the fall sales, they saw particularly well. Um, and, and he's a gorgeous horse himself. Obviously, you know, they're probably not going to be the most precocious just because, but then again, he was, he was a two-year-old winner himself. So, you know, like people tend to forget, you know, what these horses did at two, unless they were an out and out two-year-old. Um, but Massar is definitely one that I'd be looking at there. Interestingly enough, there's a couple, um, Crystal Oceans at Tattersall's book one. Um, they were actually bought as foals, so it'll be interesting to see how how they've progressed from foals into yearlings and what the pinhookers can get back on them. Um, Crystal Ocean obviously went to the Beaches Stud, which is Cools Moore, Coolmore's National Hunt Division. Um, Richie Passad was uh, gutted about that because he's one of his favourite horses ever. He loved. Crystal yeah, Ocean. I was a bit, I was a bit sad about that too. To be honest, I kind of wanted my my family have some mares, and I wanted them to send a mare to him. But obviously, you know, we 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 are a commercial farm. At the end of the day, we do have to sell at the sales. Um, you know, but and again, perception. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how, how those horses go. Um, I think he's, you know, obviously he probably will have covered more national hunt mares than he will have flat mares, but it will be interesting to see, you know, all of the flat mares that he covered, how that, how those stock go. Um, soldier's call is probably another horse I can give a shout to. Um, he was Archie Watson's first Royal Ascot winner. I uh, won the Chesham, I think on the Saturday. Um, you know, and, and he's he's got a good, he, you know, he'd probably be one of the horses that would probably be on the more precocious side. They'll probably be, you know, again, they, they'll probably be earlier out sorts, um, you know, look more like a two-year-old type. Um, 
advertises is, is probably another one as well I think they like he's a gorgeous horse himself he's a he's a big imposing horse um you know and obviously he didn't run he was, you know just flat out disappointing in the guineas but it wasn't his trip was it because then he came back and he won the commonwealth um so he's he's an interesting horse by showcasing who who at the you know he can do no wrong showcasing he's a he's a fantastic sire again for Whitsbury Manor where Havana Gray stands so it's great for Whitsbury Manor to have such a strong team of stallions at the minute. Um, Tally Ho have Inns of Court. He's an um, invincible spirit horse uh, that raced in France. And I always say, but don't bet against Tally Ho when it comes to a first season sire. Um, yeah, so there, there's, there's, yeah, I've gone on again. I just go on. Like when I look at the list of stallions, it's just, you know, you can make an argument for every one of them, but there's, there's a snapshot of a few of them anyway. I'm fascinated to see how Ulysses does uh, at stud because... Uh, or at the sales, I should say, because he's he's having he's been having a pretty decent time with things as a, as a second crop sire. He's currently tenth on that list. Um, yeah, and obviously Holloway Boy was you know was a bit of a shock shock win at, at Royal Ascot. Where did that um, come from? But you know, yeah, I mean, like that was yeah. I I I think everyone was thinking, oh God, what's Carl doing? But again, Carl's a very you know he's a very shrewd trainer. He knows what he's at. So I mean, that looks like a very nice horse. And obviously he was second at Goodwood, but I. Don't, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, that horse will, will get his group, you know, he, he will get his group win, no, no problem, you know, especially considering you wouldn't necessarily think that Ulysses would, would be on the earlier sort, but even last year, like, you know, he was, again, perception, but he's done exceptionally well with his first crop of two-year-olds were last year, they've done very well, and now he's into his second crop of two-year-olds, and he got Holloway boy. Um, some uh, you know, there's a there's a few three year olds there that are very nice. So yeah, I'd imagine that he he probably will sell quite well. Um, yeah, it's it's look. I think at the end of the day, you can kind of make you know theories and and have ideas in your head, but horses will always keep you on the ground. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's um it's interesting. Purely from a, a selfish interest here, I've, I've two more questions for you. How do you think Highland Real will do? Um, they Careful don't now. seem to. Careful. Be, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I like Highland. I well, I mean, I loved him as a racehorse. Um, but he's not really. What is he? Is he into? Did he have first two years last year? Yeah, as a second crop, he's yeah. on three hundred and seventeen thousand in Europe for for prize money this year. So it's not. It's okay, yeah. but it's not great. Like Churchill's on two point six million as a second crop stallion, for example. They're pro- like, I don't know, like it's, yeah, well, Churchill's held by Vidini. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very nice horse. Um, I don't know. I think, I'd hate, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to be very careful. <laughs> um, the baseball cap is here in the studio. It's staring right at me. The Highland, the greatest horse ever. You can keep your Frankels. I'll have Highland Real all day long. Thanks very much. But as a son of, yeah. of Galileo, I, I was expecting a bit more from him. But I don't. I just wonder if he just hasn't had the same. Like he hasn't had the support. I don't think he had the numbers behind him, um, and I don't think he's had the numbers, you know, any way, any way through, um, you know. So I mean, it's not to say that he probably. Like I mean, he could very well throw up you know, a good horse, but it hasn't happened just yet. And, you know, he's probably, yeah, he's, um, because on, on the theme of, of like surprise winners at, at um, of juvenile winners, uh, you know, Carl Burke's horse who then went on to finish second at, at Glory Goodwood. the winner of that race a few years ago was Highland Real. So like, he, yeah. he was a precocious juvenile. 
Um, but he didn't really get that much support from Coolmore themselves. Like, there's not there's not that many Highland reels with Aidan O'Brien, um, and and that can always be a good indicator as to what they're thinking about in terms of how they they think a stallion's going to do. Like Air Force Blues didn't work at all, really, and Air Force Blue ended up being quietly shuffled away. Um, you know, exit stage left, please. Thanks very much. But on the on the theme, the second last question for you then was on the theme of precocious juveniles. Is that uh, a bit of a, a long-term problem for the industry? Um, Joe Lyons was talking to me about this on the final furlong not so long ago about the, the focus on precocious juveniles uh, and the breeding of speed. And when you look at, he was talking about um, the Japanese bloodstock industry and really it was still fresh in his mind about Maidan and Dubai World Cup night and how Japan just swept the board, uh, mm. winning pretty much everything uh, that night. And look, you can judge for yourself how important Maidan is. I, I think it is quite important some people are just like, yeah, whatever, it's it's there, move on. I'd, I'd love to have a, a horse that's good enough to go and race there. Uh, and it's a great place to go. Maidan is an incredible place to, to be. Uh, in terms of the long-term season, yeah, I get it. But if Japan are, are sending runners for the arc and desperately trying, and they're also targeting Maidan, that's a, a fairly decent indication of how important it is. And... Um, he said, just look at the stallions they have. Look at the industry they have. They're very focused on stamina. They're very focused on producing top-class middle-distance horses. We seem to be obsessed with producing sprinters and milers. And if you win the derby, you've then got to prove yourself in the Eclipse or the Jumont International, which is the world's highest-rated race. And as he went on about that, he's right. Um, and it is something that I've thought for quite some time as well. So it's that's one of the reasons I'm so intrigued by Ulysses. I didn't expect him to be producing two-year-olds uh, like Carl Brock's horse. Um, Donica Bryan's had some good ones too. I, I was expecting them to be late maturing types who would really excel from three onwards over middle distances. Is that a problem for the breeding industry that there seems to be this obsession with American uh, horses and, and speed in general? And should we be starting to lean more towards middle distance pedigrees? And how do you even, how do you switch the industry mindset if that is something we should be doing? Uh, it's it's an interesting question that has a few different avenues. You kind of, when you speak to somebody about owning a racehorse and you ask them, you know, what race you want to win, they kind of, most majority of them will say a classic. Yeah. Um, but they want the horse to race at Royal Ascot as a two-year-old. Um, yeah. which, and, when, and when they say classic, they do not mean the St. Ledger. No, like they mean the Guineas or the Derby. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, you know, I'd be very much in the mindset that I'd love to have a filly win the Oaks. But again, like, you know, I come from a breeding background. So, you know, breeding, you know, having a, a filly win the Oaks is, you know, amazing for me. And, or a colt, a colt win the, the, the Derby. Um, but unfortunately, if you uh, need a little thing called money, um, you have to go to the sales ring and you have to breed for what, you know, what the sales ring wants. And, you know, now it's not, look, it's not a blanket rule that everybody who goes to the sales wants the precocious two-year-old who, you know, can win a maiden in April and, and be targeted to Royal Ascot. That's not a hard and fast rule. You know, there are a lot of people who aim for that. But there are people out there who 
are buying the horses that aren't going to be two year olds, that are going to need time, that are going to, you know, be the more classic distances. Um, you know, and there's a few syndicates around that are kind of, you know, looking specifically for those horses and, and God bless them. And, you know, thank, thank God for them. Um, but it's, you know, at the end, like I, I feel, you know, it's, some, it's something that, again, a personal experience, like my family, you know, we want to breed. At the end of the day, all they want to do is breed a racehorse. Um, but to, in order to pay your stallion fees, you have to make money. Yeah. So you have to strike the balance between breeding a horse that the sales ring wants, but then will also be a racehorse at the end of the day. Um, I, I don't think it's as... I think a few years ago it was more of a concern than it is now. I think there are a lot more people, you know, kind of, you know, out there buying the more, you know, more um, backward types, backward types. I think there there are more, there are more people like that out there now. You know, a few years ago I would have said this was probably more of a concern, but I feel, you know, gut feeling is that it's actually, you know, it's still there and there's still people there who want the precocious two-year-olds and specifically are going out to buy them. But I do think there is an emergence of people who want the horses for the longer, for the more classic trips. Um, Obviously, I think with the stallions, you know, I think uh, we we did, we had a really, Emma Berry, my colleague, had a really fascinating interview with uh, Bjorn Nielsen about Stradivarius. And he's adamant that he's not going to be a national hunt stallion. Um, And it's terrible that people are talking like that about one of our greatest racehorses currently, um, you know, and, and Crystal Ocean, why did he have to go straight to the National Hunt ranks? So, you know, I think people, if they, you know, I think that's probably more of a concern is the stallions that are retiring and what people are looking for in their stallions. That's interesting that Bjorn Nielsen said that because I don't know how many times I've said on the show where well, he's going to be a National Hunt stallion for all that he's an incredible racehorse and we love Stradivarius. But Yates won four Gold Cups and they tried him. They took him to Feathered and they tried to make him a flat stallion. It didn't work. And he's a jump stallion now. That's just the way it goes. If if you're winning over a mile six, remember somebody at Coolmore telling me if you enter the gate for the St. Ledger, forget about it. Second, you're in the stalls. You're devalued immediately. You're a jump stallion. That's just the way it is. Now, Bjorn Nielsen is so rich and even just through the money through Stradivarius alone, five million in prize money when you factor in the the two million pound bonus that he got two years in a row, um, he can afford to breed to him and not care what it's going to matter at the sales. But when it comes to the sales ring itself, it's highly unlikely in three years' time that they're going to be falling over themselves to get a Stradivarius to the race course. Yet, if you and I bought a horse together, and the trainer turned to us and said, you know what, Olin, this fella is going to be a really top-class stare, and the Gold Cup at Ascot is something he can win. I'd be del- I'm pretty certain you'd be thrilled. I'd be delighted with that. I'd love to own a horse that was good enough to win the feature race at Ascot. But ultimately, yeah, well, like- ultimately, the industry, the breeding industry, just seems to, to look at, at these horses. And that's a fascinating interview, by the way, with Emma Berry, and that's very much worth reading on, on TDN. Uh, com, But ultimately, when the other offspring of that horse are going through, for all the fact that the vast majority of people would love to win the Gold Cup, when it comes to actually buying a horse, it's not the type of horse you're buying. Like, when they bred Kiprios, you could say, well, he was bred to be a, a Gold Cup winner. 
Um, but there is enough there. I mean, he's got a, a terrific uh, page. There's enough there to suggest that he could have been a Derby winner um, if, if things had gone right for him. Maybe that's what he, he would have been instead. It's just it's going to be intriguing to see how, how that plays out and, and who's going to want to stand him at stud and then support him because I'm not entirely certain that the industry will support him as a, as a flat stallion. There will be like, there will be people who will support him, but it's just whether he gets the uh, numbers that he deserves to get. You know, I think obviously, yeah, like Bjorn has a few mares, and he probably will, you know, you know, buy some more and things like that. But he probably, you know, whereas the you know a son of no like um, little big bear, say when he retires, he's probably going to get, you know, he's probably going to get like 180 mares, yeah, um, plus. Whereas Stradivarius might get, you know, a hundred and which is, it's, it's, yeah, it's an anomaly. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, people say they want to win one race, but then they want the horse to be able to do all these other things as well. And, um, I, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I do think, Obviously, people have to breed for the sales ring, but but at the same time, if you can try and be a bit smart about it, then, you know, do. Like, you know, if you've got a mare who's a sprinter, then, you know, maybe you'd try and breed the Picasso being on the mare side. Um, yeah, it's 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 not a, it's, I, I would rather go to the sales and buy a horse that, could run at two, back end two year old. Um, I don't necessarily need it to be a precocious two year old. Um, and then I'd love to be able to dream through the winter that it could be a classic horse. Yeah, I think. I mean that. I'd that for me you. is more rewarding. Yeah, yeah, I'd be very but, similar to you in that regard. Yeah, but if you're an Asian child, like the thing is, like you've got to, you've got to buy what you're told to buy. Like if you're an agent who's got a client who wants a two-year-old for Ascot, well then you're going to have to go out and buy a two-year-old for Ascot. And, you know, a lot of the people that have come into the industry want not, look, they know they're not, they're not stupid. They know that, you know, it's a long, it is a long game and you're not going to get, you know, success straight away. But a lot of the people want, you know, to at least have the hope that they might have a Royal Ascot two-year-old or a two-year-old that can win early and then it keeps them interested. Um, and you know, that's the way, like a lot of the, you know, some of the newer people coming in, that's what their, that's what their aim is. Um, you know, and, and that's what you kind of have to take the sales ring. Um, obviously owner breeders have, have, have a bit more, they can kind of breed, um, more to suit their own desires, which is, is a nice position to be in. Um, but yeah, it's. Like Desert Crown is another word. Like I don't, I haven't seen him in the flesh, but I mean, is he gonna? Where is he gonna stand at stud when he retires? Like obviously he's gonna race next year. He's not gonna run. Well, we the hope rest he is. But you know, he should be out next year. So he's gonna have a four-year-old career. But then you know, where is he gonna retire? So, um, yeah, yeah. He, like, he's an interesting case because. Everything that was being talked about for Desert Crown was there was the chance he was going to go for the King George, but really it was more about the Jumont International, and obviously he's gone now for the season. So you just have to hope that he can come back next year, and it's going yeah, to be very. But when Australia retired, 
Uh, like, you know, he won a derby, but Aiden kept saying he was better at a mile than two. Yeah. Do you know, and like, like, yeah, that's, you're a complete, uh, that's fine. Like he had, this, he had the turn of foot. If you're a derby horse, you need to have a turn of foot. There's, like you can't, like, if you're a good horse, you, like, you need to have all the boxes ticked. You can't be, you know, if you win a group one, you have to have a certain level of ability in all the boxes. Like there's no, you know, you can't just skirt it. Um, but again, when he was retiring to stud, like Aiden said, he was better at a mile and a quarter. Like, and that was to kind of help his stallion career. And like Australia's done very well at stud. I think I think he's a very good stallion. But the fact that Aiden had to come out and say that, and maybe Aiden did feel that. I don't, like I'm not going to you know make any assumptions of what he says. But you know the fact that he did say it makes you think. Well, didn't he say and, like, something? Another- he said something very similar about High Chaparral that he could have. He was going to start him off as a four-year-old in the lockinge, uh, which obviously Hawkwing went for instead, and his, his season was a bit curtailed. He didn't come back until the Royal Whip. So he ran in that, then won the Irish Champion Stakes. Um, but he was very much of the... like tr- He was talking about the speed that High Chaparral has. Uh, he kept talking about Galileo in the same way as well. He was talking about how Galileo could be a, a top-class miler, which was sort of an argument that was defeated when he dropped back to 10 furlongs and was beaten by... Um, beaten by Godolphin in that epic, epic duel um, uh, with Frankie Dettori prevailing. And it's kind of something that maybe he just has to say. He has to to say, oh, this horse has got so much speed. This horse has done this. This horse can can do that. Whereas in reality, it's it's there. What the horse, What the horse does, it doesn't really matter what the trainer says. Maybe to some breeders, it's going to get into their mindset and they'll think, oh, well, he always thought he could be a top-class miler, or he always thought he would have the speed to be able to go and win a Group 1 over that distance. But in actual fact, they just look at the CV and see what the horse has actually achieved, and that's what they'll base it on, the bloodline and the CV. Yeah. Because I guess the big question for, for Coolmore is who replaces Galileo long-term? Like, is it is it Justify? Is it Camelot? Is it Australia? Um, like Camelot's doing pretty well. Australia's doing pretty well. Australia's 27th overall right now. Camelot 31st. Uh, if you were to pinpoint one for them to carry forward the legacy, who would it be? Um, well, I think I think Australia's kind of the obvious one um, just because he is by Galileo. Obviously, they've, you know, they've, they've done something like, you know, they bought in uh, Wooden Bassett to kind of, you know, kind of be at that that upper um price bracket in their roster um he jumped in at 100,000 uh so they you know they they are aware like they are aware that they probably didn't have a Frankel but I think Australia is a pretty good um good marker to have uh they've got you know they've got um all these young stallions coming through as well um, in terms of a, you know a son of Galileo, I'd, I'd have to say it would be Australia in their roster. You know, if, um, Frankel is the obvious heir apparent, parent, but he's at Judmond. Yeah. Um, you know, so probably, you know, their roster is looking more kind of, you know, like the likes of the known, like you know, the Scat Daddy Sire line, the likes of the known Nevers and 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 sires like that. Obviously, now they've got Siuni. They've brought Siuni into their starting roster with Sotsas and. Um, St. Mark's Basilica. St. Mark's Basilica. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how how they go. Um, you know, and Soxas was an arc winner, you know, so, I mean, they're not afraid to, to stand stallions that have gone over those those classic 
classic trips. Um, and I think Salt Sauce is he had his first foals this year, and, and they they look lovely types. Um, I think I think the cool uh, you know a cool more the cool more rosters you know you go down there and there's all these fantastic so like you know you mentioned Camelot there as well and and you know he's he's an stallion that um is is you know is a, a one to take note of and definitely people have latched on to him um but I I don't necessarily think they've got anything to worry about down in Coomore they've got a pretty strong roster and they you know they, they've kind of filled in the gaps like what I said about them buying in Wood and Bassett they you know they've they've been smart and, and strategic in what they've brought into their roster um, you know and just but just, just another uh, you know kind of going back to the you know Stallions going to jump surrounds I mean Golden Horn's gone to Overbury to be a dual purpose Stallion that slipped my mind. Um, I, I did not notice that. I said, slipped my mind. I wasn't aware of that at all. Yeah, he's he's gone to Overbury Stud. So, and I mean, he had he had um, West End Girl in his first crop, who was a Group Three winning two year old. Um, and he's just he's just had yesterday in Deauville. He had a Group Three winner uh, in Deauville. Obviously, that horse was a four year old, but still, it was Group Three winner on the flat. Um. So I mean he's he's gone he's gone to Overbury to be a dual purpose stallion, but I'd say his the ratio of national hunt mares to flat mares would probably be um, stacked in favour of national hunt. It's amazing how this is this continues to switch around. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't think that Coolmore have anything anything to worry about. And for all that uh, Camelot is is from the Monju line, which many view as being just stamina, stamina, stamina. I still think. Just his looks. He's a stunning-looking horse. I still think he's going to be yes. a massive player. What a beautiful horse. Um, and an incredible CV as well. You know, things didn't go to plan as a four-year-old, but his three-year-old CV was absolute gold. And um, a top-class juvenile as well. You know, group one winner at two, three. Um, classic winner. An awful lot in his favour. Uh, in terms of on the track this season, we've just seen the, the group one, um, and it goes in tow with the fact that he is the leading juvenile, Little Big Bear, um, a Royal Ascot winner, albeit it was in enlisted company, but still, uh, I know they were disappointed. I remember speaking to Aiden on the final furlong about his debut, and he was quite disappointed that he was beaten. But it's probably worked out best for him because he's then gone on, won the, the Windsor Castle. He's taken a group three Anglesey stakes along with his maiden, and this is his fourth win in a row. And it's straight to the national stakes now, uh, the Vincent O'Brien national stakes at uh, at the Curra on Irish Champions Weekend. And for all that, it will be very interesting to see what Godolphin bring over. I don't really see a whole lot to, to worry him right now. Um, the double figure price is long gone for, uh, for the guineas. Uh, and if you took it, fair play. Uh, you're, you're sitting on, on a pretty nice position there, but he's going to be a very, very interesting horse going forward. And just... To, to round it off um, with a conversation about two-year-olds, he's obviously the the leader in the clubhouse as things stand. I'm still interested in Blackbeard. I'm very interested in some of Charlie Appleby's horses, but is is he the the main the main player for you as the season continues? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Um, I think I think he probably is. I'm I'm a bit gutted about Brad Sell, to be honest. I thought that he was a really smart horse, and I yeah. thought he's, I thought because the Coventry was such a strong race this year. I mean, the form from the Coventry is really, really stacked up. Um, 
you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Persian Force was uh, in the Coventry, but he won the July Stakes. Um, and, you know, he was behind Little Big Bear this past weekend, but I think he's still a nice horse. Um, you know, and I, like, when I watched the race, obviously, you know, when he when he stumbled coming out of the gates and things, I thought, all right, well, he's, he's let us, you know, that's kind of him done. But um, I thought the way, when he, the way he finished, I thought that wasn't, we didn't see Brad sell, to be honest. Um, so I'm a bit gut that he's gone. Um, there's a what's the what, what Philly won the um, group two at the July meeting for two year olds. The zoo was second. Um, oh dang it! Um, People are roaring at the at their speakers. Like, yeah. how do you not? What? Come on! How do you not know that? <laughs> My brain is frozen. Yeah, so is mine. Uh, one second, I'll just look this up. Yay! Um, um, Maj. Um, Maj, yes, the Saeed Bin Saror. Yeah, exceeding Excel. Um, she's a nice filly. Uh, we didn't actually speak about Zoo Star when we were talking about earlier Um, obviously he's done the reverse shuttle so he started in Australia and then has come up to the northern hemisphere Mm. Um, and this filly Rafe Beckett's filly Lazoo she she only went down half a length in in the group 2 and she's since won a group 3 she seems quite a tough filly and I wouldn't discount her for an each way bet in a group 1 later this year I'd say um, I think she she could be all right, to be honest. And that Royal Ascot race mm-hmm. to go back to to Marge being second to meditate like that's worked out really really well. I and mean, I think both fillies will will go forward very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Richard Hannon has a nice uh, two year old filly by No Name Ever who won a Goodwood, uh, Trillium. Um, yes. she's 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 quite a nice filly. Um, yeah. I, I, the two-year-olds are always, uh, yeah, uh, there's, yeah, the two-year-olds are always a bit of an anomaly. I don't, I tend to kind of look at the two-year-olds with interest and wait until the group ones kind of happen and then kind of make my mind up on them um, and kind of see what I think for ne- for the following year. I think anything that, like, I think for me, again, just going back to what I say about, like, wanting a horse that could run, back end two-year-old and, and, and target the classics. I think that's what I tend to look at with the two-year-olds. Um, obviously, if, if you know, you've got to take the Royal Ascot, you know, the group winning two-year-olds uh, into account, like, well, like Brad Sell kind of caught my mind. And, um, you know, I, I do obviously pay attention to them, but I really kind of switch on to the two-year-olds once those group ones um, start happening. And once those back end maidens start happening as well, um, with with the focus of the classics the following year kind of coming into my mind but yeah i'd say yeah i think little big bears obviously got the the advantage um you know and it just like what he did on saturday was just yeah it was it, and i think mark Byrne actually had a really good tweet um about horse you know horses that had won it before and he'd done it faster than a lot of them uh, which tells you a lot, and you know there were there were some good horses in that list. I might just see if I can. He was right. Ra- I know on Racing Post ratings, he's the best winner since Johannesburg. 
And that's one hell of a statement yeah. to go and make. Now, it, listen, yeah. he has to back that up, but it puts him ahead of George Washington, Master Craftsman. Um, and in terms of two-year-old performances, it puts him ahead of Native Trail. And, and it puts him ahead of, of Pinatubu's outside of his national stakes performance. It puts him ahead of him as well, which is, yeah. that's bonkers. And I mean, he wasn't stopping going through the line. No, 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 no. There was more there. And it took him yeah. a while. It took Ryan a while to pull him up to, which I love. Um, I love seeing that. Ever, ever since Ruby Walsh, I mean, he's really changed the game, but ever since Ruby Walsh said that with Lydia on Racing TV, he was talking about the Sam Crow. He didn't like the fact that Sam Crow would pull up instantly when, yeah. um, when Davey or Jack would ask him. He said, that's not a good sign. Uh, and how right he was proved. And, and he talks about how the real measure of a good horse is in a, if you see them in a, in a graded race and it takes the jockey a long time to pull them up, that's the, that's the sign of a good horse. Um, and I just uh, totally on a, on a different conversation at this horse called Denmark. Wayne O'Brien. Oh, yes. He bolted up on debut and he threw Ryan Moore off after the line. Ryan was trying to pull him up. He couldn't. And he tossed it. He had the ignominy of being thrown into the dirt, um, which isn't exactly the, the best of things. Ryan was fine uh, and walked away. Okay, well, he's very exciting. Um, and, and the other one, just as you mentioned, Tiafilios earlier on, did you see Naval Powers win? Uh, to give the dolphins some love on uh, King George Day. I don't think I saw it. No, it's not ringing. I think I probably need to go back and watch that. Highly recommend watching that back. He was he'd won at Yarmouth and Leicester, and then he bolted up by six and a half lengths when really well backed. And I say again, when Godolphin horses are well backed. I know I had the piss taken out of me one day over this. Oh, does Sheikh Mohammed back in the Mizzy? Well, yes, apparently he is. Uh, maybe not Sheikh Mohammed, maybe not the ruler of Dubai himself, uh, but certainly the stable staff are. Uh, so when you see Sheikh Mohammed heading up to Kaluki uh, looking to unload the, the satchel uh, on, on a horse, the amount of Godolphin horses who are really well backed before they off and go in is, is quite telling. And this Teofilio naval power looks to be very, very exciting. I know... Um, Speaking with Oshin Murphy before Ryle Ascot, he was really interested in one of their horses as well, who ended up missing the meeting. He's since won at Newmarket, Noble Style, that's him. But mm. naval, naval Power, I'm hoping he comes over for the Vincent O'Brien National Sticks because I'd love to see him clash with Little Big Bear. He he looks up to it. He looks He's going to have to raise his game, but he looks very capable of running a massive race in, in Group 1 company. So he's one that I'd be very I'm, excited about. I'm just looking through the TDN Rising Star list. Okay. We had Little Big Bear. We had Marge. Oh. We had Bradzell. Oh. We had Statuette. We had, uh, I think that's, anyway, there's a load of two-year-olds in there. And obviously all those horses have gone on to win group races. Um, so I, I have nothing to do with the, the, the TDN Rising Stars. I don't write them. But we have editorial team who write them and watch the races and really pay attention to um, the two-year-old races and the three-year-old maidens. Um, and they've not been too wrong, to be fair to them. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, if you if you kind of want an indicator of some of the two-year-olds for the year to look out for, the TDN Rising Star list might be, not be a bad one to look at. Uh, yeah, because be, this was written, like, before they were in action, to be fair. So, like, you were being given plenty of notice about it. Uh, and if you just Google TDN Rising Star, you'll get it. Or just go to 
uh, thoroughbreddailynews.com and search Rising Stars, you'll, you'll see it there as well. Because you, you don't just talk about uh, UK and Irish horses, you talk about uh, full Europe, you encompass France, um, but also encompassing United States as well. Like there's so much information yeah. there. Yeah, definitely. So no, it's a, it's a good it's a good all rounder publication. But I, again, I dra- sorry, dramatized just popped into my eyes there as well. She's she was a rising star. Obviously, she was she's very impressive daughter showcasing. Um, Nashua, Nashua was a rising star, and obviously, she's gone on to do amazing things this year. Um, yeah, big up the team. Jeez, that's fair play to them. Sorry, just they've they've not been too bad. I'm actually looking at some of the other horses that they were talking about as well, and it's bloody impressive, in fairness. Um, very, very impressive. Uh, thoroughbreddailynews.com is the website. We'll tweet a link to it as well. We'll put it up on the Instagram and Facebook too. Um, TDN for short, but Thoroughbred Daily News. Absolutely outstanding coverage. Uh, I would love to break down the sales results with you and how it's gone in, in a few months when all the... Just when you think the chaos and the madness is starting to calm down, you go, oh, crap, now I've got to go and review the whole thing uh, for TDN itself, <laughs> but also to try and encompass it into the into the podcast as well. Um, so hopefully you'll be available to do that. I'd be very keen to do that with you. Um, and, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about another trainer who will have retired at that stage as well, thrown in the towel. Uh, God almighty. Uh, but we'll also <laughs> find a reason to be excited and and feeling good isn't that right elena we'll find reasons to be happy yay it's like that (laughs) meme where the dog is drinking coffee as uh everything burns around it was like this is fine it's all grand yeah this is fine that's the bha the bha eating lobster in a very fancy hotel that's (laughs) absolutely engulfed in flames and they're like yeah pass me the ribeye steak there and uh can i have another bottle of bollinger thanks very much what do you mean it's all burning down? What do you mean the sports in <laughs> chaos? It's fine. The gravy train keeps flowing. There's no worries. Uh, Elena Cullen, pleasure talking to you as always. TDN, thoroughbreddailynews.com. Uh, if you're not reading them, you really should be. And uh, it's it's remarkable the amount of content that you're getting, particularly when you get it for free. Free 99. We love that kind of content. Uh, Elena, thanks so much. No worries, Emma. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thank you for listening. We will talk to you again very, very soon on the Final Furlong Podcast. Be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com.